You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. We're in chapter 28. Some of you may remember last week we had, oh, by the way, the for those of you who remember the joke a couple weeks ago, Acts 28, the B end, that's what Ethan calls the end, uh, if you remember when he was a kid. And so I guess most of you didn't get that. Tiffany said you wouldn't. Um, she's usually right. All right. Um, remember he was like the B end, the B end. All right, forget it. You know what? I'm not telling you guys jokes anymore. All right, here we go. Uh, so you remember last week, Paul and, uh, and Aristarchus and Luke and 276 people or whatever it was got shipwrecked. Remember, they got in a storm, they got shipwrecked, looked like we're going to be dead. God saved them because he had already told Paul, he's going. Jesus had told him, you're going to Rome. You're going to witness for me at Rome. And so he knew he was going to be all right, but, he, but God actually saved all the people who were on that ship for Paul's sake. And they, at the end of last week, we saw them crash, uh, and they got onto a beach, and they were all saved. They were all alive. That's where we were. So this week, we're going to pick up from there. And this is in chapter 28. If you have your Bible, it'll also be on the screen. Verse 1, it says, Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. Okay, I think we have a map here. Right, yeah. So this is kind of the path that they took. If you remember, Caesarea Sidon, they went to Santa Claus's house, if you guys remember that one, or to the town he was from. And then over, uh, and then eventually that, that last part of the red line there is where they... Uh, we're in a storm, and they ended up on a little island called Malta. So that's where they are. They've realized this, this place is called Malta. Uh, this island would have had, you know, islanders that were native to the, to the island. It would have also had, obviously, Roman Greek folks that had, that had come there and that had been, you know, that had been integrated into, into the area. And so it says, And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. So the word natives that Luke uses here is actually the Greek word barbaros, like barbarian. And for most of us, we think of barbarians like Conan, the barbarian, right? Or like, like these, you know, unkempt people, like, you know, whatever. That's not what it meant. Greek people used the word barbarian um, to refer to anyone that didn't speak Greek because of the way that they sounded when they talked, right? So it's, it's, it's onomatopoetic. Does everybody know what that means? Uh, Basically, it's, you know, like boom, like words that sound like what they are. So really, they're calling barbarians because they think that when they talk, it's like bar, 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 because they can't understand what they're saying. Like the parents in the Peanuts cartoons, wah, 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 wah. That's, that's they made up the word for that, basically. Barbarians just meant people who didn't speak Greek, people who they couldn't understand speaking. And so here it says it very nicely, the natives, but he says barbarians, and that's what he means, people who don't uh, speak Greek. And so they make him this fire, which is very nice of them because if it's still, remember, there's a storm. We're basically getting on to the late part of the year. It's cold. They make these guys, and 276 or whatever it was, people, they make him a fire. That would have been nice. I would have been happy once I got on the beach to get that nice fire going. So these natives, they were some nice folks to get them hooked up. It says, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So Paul's out there. A couple of things to think about here. First of all, Paul, he's a worker, man. Like, he's just gone through all this stuff. He's the one. They were all saved because of him. They should have been like, hey, you sit here, Paul, because your God saved us all. You just relax here. But no, Paul's out there. He's gathering sticks. Of course, he was a prisoner, so they may have made him do it. I don't know. But he's out there. He's gathering sticks. He's showing us once again, just practically, that the, that the real serious Christ follower, there's nothing that the real serious Christ follower considers below themselves. 
We, we work. We do what needs to be done. And Paul just shows consistently the guy just does the work. And he's doing the work, and he gets these, these sticks, and he throws them in the fire. And what's probably happened here is a snake, a viper of some kind, had been chilling, right? It's wintertime. They're, t- they're hibernating, and Paul has messed with this, this snake. He's just, he came up on him. The snake was just chilling, sleeping, and then the fire woke him up, and yeah, he bit Paul. Can you blame him? Uh, you, you're taking a nap. I'm, if I'm taking a nap, you've got to watch your hands if you wake me up, because I'll, you know, bite a little bit too. That's what this snake did, right? He was, he was trying to chill out. Paul's messed with him. He bites Paul on the hand. All right, so let's see how they react to that. It says, so when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hands. This is a serious bite, like the thing's not letting go. They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. They're a little fickle, right? This is not the first time uh, Paul has been called a god. Um, they thought he was Hermes back in the day, if you remember. Uh, but, but what do we got going on here, right? We have uh, these, these uh, natives of the island. They see Paul get bit, and they're basically saying, listen, he may have escaped the sea, which was probably justice. And they're talking, may have been talking about the God of justice who makes sure that, you know, sees all the things you do and makes sure that you get yours when you do something wrong. But they're saying, basically, look, he should get justice. He's probably some kind of a murderer, right? And so what's happened is he escaped the sea, but justice wasn't going to let him go. The snake bit him, so we know he's going to die. You know, they've got this sort of expectation, this understanding of the world that's very much like a lot of people today have. You ever heard of karma, right? This is kind of an Eastern uh, religious idea, but it has become pervasive in our culture. Um, you know, you're in my hot yoga class. We talk about I don't take hot yoga. I, please. Okay, I can barely bend over and tie my shoes. I'm not going to take hot yoga. But, but <clears throat> and if I did, I wouldn't take hot yoga. I mean, that sounds really uncomfortable, but I don't know. Whatever you guys do, okay? But karma... Karma is, is the idea that sort of what you put out is what you get back, and good people have good things happen to them, and bad people have bad things happen to them, and that's kind of the way the world works, right? You put bad into the world, you get bad back, blah, blah, blah. This is, a, this is kind of a Hindu, it's an Eastern idea, but it's become very, very common. Now, here's the problem with karma. It's obviously untrue. It's obviously untrue, right? Um, and besides that, as believers, we don't believe in karma. We believe in grace. We believe in grace. See, if karma was true, I would be dead long ago. Long ago, right? I mean, I don't want to debate it past the point I could walk, probably. I mean, I was not doing things that I should do. If that was true and what came back on me was what I put out, I would not be in a good situation. And, and no offense or offense, I don't care. You would be too, okay? You would be too. Karma is not true. It's not real. It's unrealistic, and it's philosophically untenable. In other words, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, okay? Well, the people's main, one of their main issues with God is, why do bad things happen to good people? And that's because of this mindset of karma that they have, that, hey, if I'm doing good things, good things should happen to me. Of course, the way most of us are is we ignore all the bad things we do and think that we're really good people because of the few good things that we do. That tends to be the way that we think about ourselves, right? Um, C.S. Lewis talks about a guy who plays tennis and mistakes his few good shots as his normal game and the, the many, many, many bad shots as his off. Well, that was just an off one. It's like, well, if, if you're off 99% of the time, you suck at tennis, Okay. 
But he takes, you know, he gets that one great shot, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's me. That's how good I actually am. That's kind of how we live our lives sometimes. We think we're really good, and so we're very upset because we have this karmic understanding of the way the world works, and we're mad at God because things don't go the way we want them to go. Listen, if karma was true, you'd all be in big trouble. You'd all be in big trouble. The fact is that we believe in grace. We believe in the grace of Jesus Christ because we have an amazing, powerful God. Even the people who Christ was around struggled with this. You might remember some instances. Oh, why is this person... uh, why has this person got this disease or whatever? Is it because he sinned? Is it because his parents sinned? Right? They were all worked up at one point because Pilate had killed some Galileans and mixed their blood with the sacrifices. And so they thought, these Galileans must have been especially bad to have this horrible thing happen to them. And then Jesus comes to him and is like, no. They didn't do anything especially. You think there were any worse than anybody else because this bad thing happens to it? That's not the way it works. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, 4, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? No. The truth is, is that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And the sun shines on the just and the unjust. And if you get your mindset in some sort of karma mindset, hey, if I do good, good things will happen. If I do bad, bad things will happen. And, that's, and it's sort of like this one-for-one, zero-sum game that works out there. You are missing Scripture. It is not scriptural. What you need to understand is that you've already done enough to have all the bad karma in the world and that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can save you, not doing good things. Doing good things won't save you. Now, there is, of course, a natural flow as we do things that are wise. If you save money, you're likely to have more money, right? If you treat your spouse well, they're likely to be a nicer spouse to you and whatever. Although I can give you examples where both of those things went the wrong way. And it wasn't because the person was bad. It's because we live in a fallen, cursed world. Okay? Generally, I say do good, but not for karma's sake. Not for karma's sake. Do good because you're just compelled to do good because of how just blessed and amazingly happy you are for what Jesus Christ has done for you. And don't listen to karma nonsense because it's just not true. All right. You got me off on karma for a second there. All right. So one of the other things it shows is these people on this island, you saw on the map where it is, it's the middle of the, of the, of the water there. You know, these people know what's, what right and wrong is. There's sort of this uh, mindset that some people have that, you know, people are all different about what they think about right and wrong. All, you know, all these different cultures and whatever, they all think something different about right and wrong. That's how we know it's not really objective. It's just sort of our own ideas. But the truth is, is that go to Malta or the deepest jungle of here or there or the island out here or there, and what you'll find is consistently, consistently, they all think most of, with very few exceptions, the same things are wrong and the same things are right. <coughs> and the reason is, is because there is such a thing as right and wrong. And these people knew it. That's why they thought that Paul, if he was a murderer, should be in big trouble, right? Should, should get dead for murdering somebody. They recognized that there should be a punishment for evil that was done. And here's the thing that's important about that as believers. The fact is, is that everybody non-sociopathic understands that there's a right and a wrong. Everyone understands that there's a right and wrong. And if you want to be able to to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, taking the fact that people understand that there's a right and wrong is a really, really good way to be able to go in without Bible thumping out of the gate, right? Without, Without being overly like, well, it says this here. And they're like, well, I don't even believe that. But do you believe that there's a right and a wrong? 
Because if you believe that there's a right and the wrong, philosophically, this isn't about Christians or atheists or whatever, the, the, the philosophical facts are that if you believe there's such a thing as a right and wrong and that they're true, regardless of whether you think they're right or wrong or not, that there really is a right or wrong, then there must, logically, there must be a God. And if there must be a God, and that God has made right and wrong as part of the nature of God, then that God must not be happy with those who have done the things that are wrong, right? And if God is not happy with those who have done the things that are wrong, then those who have done things that are wrong, which is everybody, are in big trouble. And if those who have done things that are wrong are in really big trouble, then the best news you could ever give anyone who believes there's such a thing as right and wrong is that Jesus came, died, and rose again, and that there's grace for their sin. Right? And so if you can walk through that with somebody, it's really hard to deny it. What else do you have at that point? What else do you have? Hopelessness. Hopelessness. So these folks knew that there was a right and wrong, and here they go, and they start calling Paul a god. And Paul, we've seen this before, you know, he doesn't tell us here, but assumedly this is giving Paul an opportunity to preach. No, I know I'm very good looking, but I'm not a God, right? Um, and here's the deal, here's who I am, here's who Jesus is, here's why I didn't die from that snake bite, because Jesus told me i got to be in Rome, so this is just going to get in the way of that. Couldn't die right now, couldn't do it, because Jesus has the power, and I'm sure he got this opportunity to preach as a result of this. Certainly the last thing he did was let them believe that he was a God. Right, Because we've seen the way he deals with this before. So this probably gave him an opportunity to preach. And it gives him some more opportunity too. Let's, let's keep reading. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius. Who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So Publius, I'm guessing has heard about the snake bite and the whole thing, and maybe from uh, Julius, the, the centurion who had been guarding Paul, maybe he's heard about the shipwreck and Paul being visited by the angel and all the things that have happened, and so my guess is he's interested. And so he's invited, I'm not guessing that he invited all 276 people to his house. I'm guessing we're talking Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, maybe Julius, the, the centurion. We don't know, it doesn't tell us here, but I'm, I'm not guessing it was everybody. But I'm guessing it was because of the snake bite and the things that happened that are the reason that he says come in. And then Paul goes in there and he takes this opportunity to say, oh, your dad's sick? Daddy's sick? Let me go in there. Paul goes in and heals this guy. Heals the father. Well, what happens when somebody gets healed like that? Let's see. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. What kind of opportunity has happened here? Paul's healed the father. It doesn't even say that the father was a believer or that he had faith to be healed or that he asked to be healed or anything. Paul goes in there and the power of God works through Paul to heal this guy. And then all these people on the island are coming to Paul saying, hey, look, whatever, you know. And, and of course, what's he doing? He's not saying, I'm healing people. He's, he's pointing them to Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us how many people got saved or if anybody got saved. If anybody started following Christ. I'm guessing people did, okay? And Luke doesn't, doesn't tell us that, that in, in, the, in this chapter. But my guess is that people did. But if they didn't, I, I'll tell you what, some seeds were certainly planted. I don't know how much of the news of Jesus Christ had come to this island, but certainly as Paul came there, he got to do that. And let's go back now to that snake bite because nobody likes being bitten by snakes, right? Yesterday we were at, I was at a life group and we made a fire. We were at the church house and we made a fire in like the fire pit and there's all this wood in the back, right? And I am somebody who just loves to go to a wood pile that's been sitting there for however long and who knows what's in that wood pile and just stick my hands right into it. 
right, and pick that wood up. And I'm thinking the whole time, don't, do a, don't get a sermon illustration for tomorrow. Don't get a sermon illustration because I was going through because I knew I was preaching on this, and I did not want to be able to say, and by the way, yesterday, I put my hand up and it's this big because I got bit by brown recluse. What have you seen that stuff on the internet? It looks nasty. Um, so anyway, just thought I'd share that with you. Um, getting some wood and, and didn't want that to happen. But Paul did. The snake bites him, and I think for most of us, we'd say, man, can this guy catch a break? You know, he gets on the ship. He's like, don't go this way. They're like, no, we're going to go this way. And then they have 14 days of disaster. They crash. They get on the thing. Finally, he's safe. It's like, oh, finally, a warm fire, a minute to rest. Have you ever been there? Oh, things are rough. Things are rough. Storm, storm, storm. Oh, whoo, it looks like it's over for a minute. Snake bite. <laughs> like, I got a snake hanging from my hand now, right? I've seen it with people in the church, right? And they're like, man, we've just been through the worst storm. Oh, and, and by the way, it just started up again. Something else happened, whatever. Well, that's what Paul's dealing with here. But listen, what happened as a result of it? What happened as a result of this snake bite? As a result of this snake bite, he got to go and heal an untold, we don't know, number of people on the island of Malta and bring the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to all these people because he was willing to get a couple puncture wounds in his hand. Right? And so when you go through these things, when you go through these difficulties and they seem to come one after another and you're in the storm and then it's a snake bite and then it's whatever, when, when that's going on, don't forget what was happening here. The people were watching Paul. They were watching Paul. They were looking to see what was going to happen, how he was going to react. They're watching you. They're watching you and you do not know what opportunities for the good news, for the gospel of Jesus Christ may come your way because of what seems to you like tragedy after tragedy, difficulty after difficulty. Paul had to go through it, and the Lord used it for amazing things. All right, we're going to leave the island now. Verse 10. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. All right, so they're at the island for three months. Why? They got to wait until the storm stopped. They're there for the winter, so they're chilling. I don't know what the weather's like there. Hopefully it was a nice winter for them. Uh, it gives Paul quite a lot of time to uh, preach to these folks, right? These people who have been healed and so on. It gives him an, an opportunity for a ministry. Three months is better than a couple days. So he gets to be there for three months, and then off they go, and they take off, right? I think I may have missed the verse right before that says they they also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So when they left, these people were so happy with Paul and so on, that they gave them stuff. They took care of their needs, assumedly for the rest of their trip. Hey, you guys need stuff. We, we're going to give you this stuff, which is, what, which is sort of the heart that the believers have for one another. So we saw that. Then we find out they've been there for three months, and then they're about to take off, and it says, and landing at Syracuse, it's not the university, um, we stayed three days. Once again, Luke just including stuff. Why, why do I care that they stayed in Syracuse three days? The truth is I don't, but Luke has included, well, I do. Luke has included it because he's being accurate because it's what happened because Acts is about facts. Because once again, detail, detail, detail. He's telling you, this is the route we took. And you can probably go check, and it would have been exactly the route that someone would have taken. They landed Syracuse. They stayed there three days. And from there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Puteoli. I had to look up how to pronounce that. Puteoli, okay? Where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. So they get to Puteoli. We have that map up there. You can grab that. There you go. So you, I don't know if you can read that. 
But that's, you see them, Malta going up through Syracuse region over, you see Puteoli, you see the boot there, the uh, Italian boot, and Puteoli is right up in there in the middle. So they've, they've made it to land, they're not going to go back on the sea at this point. And when he gets there, he meets these believers. Why are there believers there? Well, of course there are believers there. Remember that the Jews, had, the Jews had, who had become believers had left, had gone all over the place because Stephen got martyred by who? Paul, uh, who was sitting there being the witness of, of the martyring of Stephen. Um, but people had gone all over, and they'd gone back to Rome and the, and the regions around Rome. So they get to Puteoli, and they find believers. Not only just believers, but believers who were like, hey, stay with us for a week. And they did. They'd finally been done with their sea voyage. I'm guessing that Julius... Uh, who was a centurion, was probably willing to take the hospitality of these believers. You know, that he's willing, all right, I'll take a week off, chill with Paul and them. So they regain their strength because the rest of this trip is going to be on foot. It's going to be on foot. And it says, from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So somebody has gone from Puteoli, assumedly, taken a jaunt up to Rome and told the brothers and sisters in Rome, hey, Paul's coming. And of course, remember, Paul had written the letter to the Romans. We call it the book of Romans. Um, he had written this some time back, so they knew who he was. He was involved in the ministry there as an apostle, having given them what some of the, the finest doctrinal statements that we have in the New Testament. They, they've already had this. Paul's been wanting to come to them. So they wanted to come to them, so they hear, hey, Paul's coming. And they are so happy about it that they leave and they walk down, I think it's 20, 30 miles down uh, to Appii Forum in the three inns to meet Paul. And when Paul sees them, he's jacked up, excited. Says, you know, it it gave him courage, right? He thanked God. He thanked God. And I can just imagine, you know, Paul's been, yeah, he's had a couple. He had Luke and he had Aristarchus with him. But man, he's been through some stuff. And you know, he's getting to Rome, and he's about to face Caesar, okay? This is a big deal. He's got, he's got a big, you know, could be very frightening path in front of him. And to have these believers, not only be believers in Rome, but that they were excited enough to come down and see him and encourage him must have just been the most amazing thing. I don't know, but I can tell you this. I am encouraged by you. I'm encouraged when other believers are around. It is a tough thing to follow Christ on your own. I would say pretty, pretty near impossible. And Paul shows us here that it's an amazing thing to thank God for, to be able to be around other believers who, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ just like you do, who put their faith in him. Because trying to face the world and face all the darkness and, and evil that's out there by yourself, is just, it's, it's not possible. Obviously, you've got to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, but then the Holy Spirit also uses your brothers and sisters to encourage you. And that's what's happened here. I mean, it's just a quick verse. It's just a quick verse saying that, that Paul thanked God and took courage. Just a little thing. But I can tell you it was probably an amazing thing for him. Ah, oh, here's these brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's this thing. I don't know them personally. Most likely he didn't know these people personally, but they had the most important thing in common. And as a result of that, this was an amazing meeting for Paul. And, he was, and it gave him the courage, the strength. God gave him the strength through these folks to go ahead and make that last part of his journey to Rome. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So, we get to Rome. We get to Rome. Finally, Paul was in Rome, Right? Jesus had told him, you're going to be a witness for me in Rome. Paul's made it to Rome, and here he is. 
you got to imagine for yourselves this enormous city, okay? Million people, huge city at this time in the, in the world. The hustle, the bustle. This is the center of power on earth, basically, at the time that they knew about. This was the center of culture, right? This is the center of darkness. This is, this is a very, very, very big, scary city for Paul, for a believer, I'm sure. But it's the center. God has brought Paul to witness in a place that is as upstream as you can get. So that if the gospel takes hold in Rome, there is unquestionable that it will spread to the rest of the world. Now, Paul's been out in all kinds of cities, and normally he goes to the big cities. And as he preaches the gospel, it goes there and it spreads out. Well, you can't do better than Rome, the center of the world to these folks. And here he is. He's finally there. He gets there. They take him to the captain of the guard, and they say, hey, look, you can go stay. I'm guessing in some kind of an apartment type thing. And instead of having a centurion, he's just got a soldier, and he would have been chained to the soldier all the time. Makes going to the bathroom awkward probably. But... You know, that's, that's what the situation was. But he was allowed to stay by himself. We don't know how he afforded it. I'm guessing the believers there took care of him. And they got him this place to stay. But that's where Paul is. He's finally made it to Rome. And so what is Paul going to do when he gets to a new city? He's going to go to the Jews, right? That's what he always does. That's what he always does. And so it says this. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and to speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. So he's, he's given them the history, right? Here's why I'm here. I've been speaking about the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the resurrection, that the Messiah has come. That's, that's what I'm all about. And because of that, there were Jews who were upset with me. I was imprisoned. I ended up having to appeal to Caesar because they weren't going to let it go. Not because I'm here to make trouble for Jewish people, but I'm just here to defend myself. So he's telling them all of that stuff. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, Christians, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Okay. So they're saying, look, apparently the Jerusalem uh, Jews did not send anything to Rome about Paul, or at least didn't send it to the synagogues there. They sent anything, maybe they sent something to the emperor, or they sent something through Felix or, or Portius Festus or one of these guys, but they did not send anything to the Jews that were living in Rome. They're saying, we don't know. We haven't heard anything negative about you. But here's the deal. This sect, Christians, we've heard bad things about them all over the world. Now, of course, they would have, right? We've already read these stories. Paul has been to all these places all over the world, and he comes into the synagogues, and at the end of the day, some people believe, and some people don't, and those that don't usually cause huge trouble for Paul. And they're the ones who are going to hear, when other people go, they're going to go to these synagogues, and they're going to hear, yeah, there's these Christ followers, they're big turd heads, whatever, right? And so they're saying, we've heard bad things from all kinds of people about these Christians. They're spoken against everywhere. Now, in fact, all the Jews had been kicked out of Rome in 49 AD, okay, just 10, 11, 12 years before this. 
And actually, again, in 19 AD by, by Tiberius, they had all been kicked out too. So the Jews, there wasn't a great deal. There wasn't a great life for Jews in Rome necessarily. Like I said, they got kicked out in 19 by Tiberius and 49 by Claudius. But here's the interesting thing. When Claudius told the Jews to leave Rome, one of the things that may have been the cause of them leaving were the dissensions over Christ. So apparently in the synagogues, they were having uh, big contentions over Jesus Christ because people had come from the diaspora, from the Jews that had left, that had gone away uh, from the Christian diaspora, those who had left after Stephen's martyrdom and gone back, whatever, the people who had come for Pentecost, all the kind of, they're coming back, they're preaching Jesus, and the Jews in Rome were having an issue. And so that issue apparently being contentious enough that it's possible, there's some historical evidence that's possible that one of the reasons that the Jews were kicked out of Rome in 49 was because of Jesus. Remember Aquila and Priscilla, who we've met um, some time back, they had been Jews who had had to leave Rome. They were from Rome. They had been Jews that had, uh, that had had to leave. But people have started to come back. The Jews had started to come back since Nero was there. Claudius was not. And so now we have a Jewish population in Rome once again. But it was a tough thing for them. And I'm guessing that as these other Jews have come back to Rome, um, the issue about Christ has not, has not been resolved yet. But here's Paul. Remember, a Jew's Jew, a Pharisee, trained under Gamaliel. This is the real guy. So if this guy's a believer, they're finally ready to listen. Okay, fine. We've had these arguments about the Christ and whatever, but you're obviously a very, very educated man. If you followed this, we're at least going to listen to it. And so that's what they're going to do. They're going to listen to Paul. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. This is much more than just the gospel, right? This is much more than just the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and there's grace for your sins. The kingdom of God is the whole thing. It's the whole ball of wax. It's what it's all about. It's, it's Jesus through his church, his kingdom that is coming to fruition, that's going to be completed. He's talking about the whole thing, Genesis to Revelation. He's giving it all to them. He's preaching about the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So the law of Moses and the prophets this is the Old Testament. Paul is, is working it. He's taking the Old Testament. He's showing them it's about Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the kingdom of God. He's walking through it from morning till evening. I know last week I preached for like an hour. Morning till evening. Okay. And, there, and I'm guessing there's a, there's a lively debate going, these Jews going back and forth with him. It's not uncommon as Paul comes in this place, but he's got a passion for the chosen people of God, for the Israelites, for these Jews. He wants them to come to know Jesus. He wants it so bad, and so he's always, in every one of these cities, he's going in, and he's going to the Jews first, and he's saying, please, see, you guys are the ones who can most easily see it. Let's walk through it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Look, it's just Jesus, Jesus all the way through. And he's come, and he died, and he rose, and he's just passionately. Morning till evening. Morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, hearing, you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Some came to know Christ that day. 
some Jews came to know Christ, and that would have been an amazing thing for the believers in the city who have probably been working on these Jewish men and women for years. And some of them, through the ministry that Christ does through Paul, come. Some of them reject. And Paul is saying, listen, Isaiah was right about you. You're seeing, but you don't see. You're hearing, but you don't hear. Your heart is callous. You ever have calluses on your hands? You know, you're out there digging, you're doing whatever, playing guitar. If you do that, you get them on your fingers. But you get calluses, they build up. They're rough. It's like a coating over it. That's what's happened to these people's hearts. That's what's happened to their hearts so that they couldn't even hear it. It was not their head, notice. It was not, it doesn't make sense. I don't believe he rose from the dead. I don't believe this. That. Look, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jerusalem knew Jesus rose from the dead. There was no question about it. The, the evidence was overwhelming. They knew he rose from the dead, and they were so calloused that they continued to want to do their own thing. These Jewish people in Rome, they're told all the stuff that they need to know to understand it. He's walking through the scripture. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. They can see it. It's not their head. Their head gets it. Their heart is so calloused. The part of them that, that's willing, that's deciding what they're going to do, is set against Christ. They won't do it. They won't do it because their heart has just been calloused over with their own traditions, with their own pride, right? They do things the way they do things. They've always, this is the way we've always done things. This is the way we, this new religion that lets Gentiles in, that's for everybody and whatever, I don't get to be as special in that. Or I got to change my lifestyle. Or I got to do things different. No, 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 no. And their heart just became more callous. And as they rejected the message, they suppressed the truth in right, unrighteousness. Their heart came, became calloused over. So even as Paul has persuaded them, and let me just tell you, Paul would have been very convincing. Paul would have been very convincing. No matter whether he convinced their head, he's saying your hearts are calloused. They're set against it. Now, now I just, this is a warning. Jesus has not stopped changing hearts, our hearts. We are being transformed. But I can tell you the thing that will stop transformation real quick, that will stop the renewing of your mind, callousing your heart. Don't you get so tied up in your own traditions or our own American culture or the way we do things or whatever it is that when Jesus is doing something and saying, this is what I have for you and this is what I want from you and this is where I want you to go, that there's so much callous in your heart that you say, no, no, don't buy it. We do Jesus this way, my way. We don't do it this way. I mean, how many times in the history of the church has it been just difficult as can be to be able to alter the way we're doing things that, have, that make no difference biblically? Because people's hearts are so calloused. They're unwilling to do what needs to be done to reach the people that need to be reached because they're so set in their own traditions, their own mindsets. Let's not let ourselves get there. It says this, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when, they had said these, when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So as is the normal thing, Paul brings it to the Jews, some, some join some reject, and then Paul brings it to the Gentiles. That's what he does. And then two full years, four years, 
since Paul's been arrested in Jerusalem. Two whole years he's there in Rome in a house. Everyone who comes to him, he's continuing to disciple. He's continuing to disciple. He's continuing to talk about the kingdom of God. It's not in great circumstances. He's chained to some dude, right? It's not a great situation for Paul. It doesn't stop him. It doesn't stop him. He was alive, and until he wasn't alive anymore, he was going to use his breath to praise the Lord, to speak the truth, to disciple others. Now, why doesn't Acts end with Paul's death or Peter's death or something like that? Why doesn't Acts end that way? That's, that was it, by the way. That's it. That was the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's over. Um, whew, it's finally over. All right. That was the end of Acts. Why doesn't it end with Paul's death or Peter's or some kind of like resolution? It's like, and so Paul was there. Blah, blah, blah. It's over. That's right. It's, it's facts. But here's the thing. Acts is not about Paul and Peter. That's not what it's about. It's about the acts of the Holy Spirit through Christ's church. That's what this book has been about. If we go through and end it with the death of Paul or with the death of Peter, it sounds like the protagonist in the book is Paul or Peter. But that's not who the protagonist of the book is. The protagonist of the, of the book is God, is Jesus Christ's church and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't get confused by having the book end with the death of Paul so we can be like, oh, there's the story of Paul. It's not the story of Paul. It's a story of you. It's a story of Christ's church. That's what Acts is a story of, and don't lose sight of that. And I love this, that the very end, the very last part of Acts is saying that Paul, dwelt two old years in his own running house, received all who came from, to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Preaching the kingdom of God. Here we are. It's, listen, it's the kingdom of God. Christ's church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. Listen, the very beginning of the book of Acts, some two years and eight months ago, okay? Sermon number one, first three verses. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's how it starts. How does it end? We're still preaching the kingdom of God. Starts with the kingdom of God, ends with the kingdom of God. All through it, we're seeing the manifestation of the kingdom of God proclaiming the kingdom of God and seeing the kingdom of God move forward through Christ's church. That's the book of Acts. We pray, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we doing? We are here to, to be doing the will of God on earth. What is that? That's his kingdom come. That's what we're praying for. That's what's happening the elders of this church, some time ago, two years and eight months, give or take, decided that we should go through the book of Acts. And we needed it. We needed it. We needed to see what it looked like to be a Christ follower and to be a church of Christ followers. We needed to understand it. We needed to understand it. And now we have the history of the beginning, first three decades of Christ's church has taught us what it looks like to follow Christ as his church. Now, we need to make sure that our hearts are not calloused as to what Jesus is calling us to do. 
because there's a call in here. See, in that amount of time, in those couple years, we've actually added to the story. This story doesn't end abruptly because it doesn't end. Because it doesn't end. Because the story of Christ's church is ongoing, and so the acts of the Holy Spirit are ongoing. It doesn't end. We have been continuing to write the story. We are adding to the story right now, today. It continues with the story of us and what Jesus is doing through us because Jesus is still alive and the Holy Spirit is still at work through his church. All day, every day. All day, every day. And we're still spreading the good news. We're still spreading the gospel, the news of Jesus Christ all over the world. We're doing it in Honduras. We're going to go in a couple weeks. We've got a network of churches there. Particularly, we've got a church called Acts Church. Actually, it's Iglesia Echos. means Acts Church. In Talonga, we've got some other churches we work with there. We, got, we have a ministry in the Philippines with something like 30 churches that consider you to be their home church, that pray for this church every Sunday. People all, all over that were there. In Alaska, Katie Cress and Lewis Fletcher have a, a group up there that meets and they sing songs and they watch the Acts Church sermons. And, and they're, look, we're continuing to do this. We're serious about it. That ain't stopping. It ain't stopping. What Paul has shown us to do, we want to continue to do. Whether it's in Talonga or Palawan or Alukanuk or any of these places that we are. I just like saying those words. We have what we need. We've done the work now. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Are we going to push forward the power of God? The power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit as we push and press into the kingdom of God. We're going to march against the gates of hell. It's not about Peter or Paul. These guys, they had their ministry. They had their time. They're done. They're with the Lord now. This is the time for God to use you. This wasn't about them. This is about what the Holy Spirit did through some people there that the Holy Spirit will continue to do to the people here. What can you do with the Holy Spirit continuing to empower you? Are we going to do this thing? Are we going to take it as seriously as Paul and Peter and the early disciples did? I mean, these are real questions. Are we going to do that? Are we willing to go to prison? Are we willing to go to death? Are we willing to deal with pain? Are we willing to bleed for it? Are we willing to die for it? Are we willing to live for it? Because they were, if there's anything that we can see, it's that they were, they were ready to do whatever. There was nothing more important to them than seeing the grace of Jesus Christ spread all over the world. And they did see it. And they did see it. Do you, do you understand what you're a part of as a believer? This is not some feel-good club. This is not some group of people who are basically sitting around trying to engage in some sort of behavior modification so we can live slightly better or more happy lives. That's not what we are. We're not just trying to, hey, our, us and our children want to have happier lives, and so we get together and try not to drink as much or whatever. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing. This is the church. This is Christ's church. This is his body. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. We are the expression of the kingdom of Jesus Christ on earth, pushing back the darkness. We're the only ones doing that, pushing back the darkness, breaking the power of the curse in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, we're the ones who are here doing that. We're showing the love of our Savior and our Redeemer and our friend Jesus Christ to the world. Who else is going to do that? 
We march against the gates of hell in the power of the Lord. This is the real thing. Look, if you didn't get anything else from Acts, listen to me. This is the real thing. Millennials. Millennials, don't get upset, Kristen. I'm not going to say anything negative. Millennials are this generation that's saying, listen, I don't want to do it if it's not meaningful. I don't want to do a job that I don't feel like I'm having an effect that's positive on the world. I don't want to just run in my hamster wheel, make that money, do that thing, have the kids, suburban life, whatever, until it all just till I end up in the dirt. I want to do something significant. And I actually love that about them. I love that about millennials. There are some other issues that, that some millennials might have to deal with, just like we did when we were young, which was a long time ago for some of us. <clears throat> but they want to change the world. They want it to be real. Now, here's the deal. For those of you who aren't millennials who are older than that, they're out there saying, give me something real. I want to make a difference. This huge generation, this is a generation the size of like the baby boomers. They're out there saying, I want something real. Give me something true. What are you going to do about it? If you don't understand the kingdom of God and you don't understand who you are, and you don't understand what it means, then you can't live real and true. You could only be a hypocrite. We could only be hypocrites if we don't understand what it's about. we got to live it. we got to be willing to go do whatever Christ has called us to do. And we do that, this next generation is going to go, yes, that's real. Look, until Jesus comes back, I'm going to keep operating like he still wants to save people. Like he still wants people to come into his kingdom. Like he still has forgiveness and grace. And that what's happened for me can happen for you, can happen for them. And we're going to reach out to every generation. I'm telling you, at no other time has it been like this. With the pervasiveness of the philosophies and the culture and the postmodernism and all the nonsense that's out there, there's never been a time like this that I know of since I've been alive where people were as hungry as they are now for the truth. And there is no truth like the kingdom of God. And they'll only see that through you. They will only see that through you. You've got to deal with it. You've got to show them what is real and what is true. Who else will? Because if you don't show them what's real and what's true, then somebody with a pretty lie is going to lead them down a different way. We don't want that. Paul poured out his own life. And the power of the Holy Spirit, he poured out his life. In the power of Jesus, he poured out his life for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ, because he knew that it was real. And what's the return on Paul's investment? Me, you, your families. What he did, what he's done with the Lord, what he allowed the Lord to do through him has, has reverberated through 2,000 years of generations. What are we going to do? There's nothing about Paul that can't be true about you, about what God can do through you. It's all about whether you're allowing him to use you. I know you're afraid to sell out to Jesus completely. I know I am. So am I. It's a, it's a scary thing in some ways. Remember earlier in Acts in chapter 5, we had Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit and it was like, dead, dirt nap, right? Not fun. And if you remember after that, it says this. This is in Acts 5, 13 and 14. Yet none of the rest dared join them. This is right after Ananias and Sapphira died. 
But the people esteemed him highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. It was scary. When they saw it was real, when Ananias comes in and Peter's like, so is this all the money from the thing you sold? Because Ananias didn't have to give him anything, but he was just saying that it was. Is this the money from the thing you sold? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. And nice is playing games. Like it, was, like it was a club meeting. Like who cares if I keep a little something back? And he's like, oh, well, here's the thing, Ananias. You just lied to the Holy Spirit. Peace. Dead. Sapphira comes in and does the same thing. Dead. Now, that will shake you up. If you were ever thinking that it was about Sunday school and just some fun and we sing some songs and we shake hands and we're going to go home and live another way, listen, don't do that. Don't do that. It didn't work out well for anybody since Fyra. It's never worked out well for anybody. Be in or be out. Be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. Jesus doesn't like lukewarm. He wants to spit that out of his mouth. Kindle the fire in yourself. Let, let the book of Acts tell you what it should look like. Because this is legit, son. This is serious. This is serious. I know what it is to be afraid. I'm going to tell you a little story. So I, was, I lived in Tennessee. And we, lived, we actually lived in the back of a chiropractic office. So there was a house. She was in the front. We were in the back. And, um, because, you know, I do it upright. And we, we had this back door. And, and I hear some noise outside. And I go out the kind of the back gate. And it's hard to explain. But basically, uh, there's nobody else that lives there. Okay. It's just, there's all these bushes that go down this way, and there's some businesses over here. It's, it's at night. It's super dark. And I see something. My dog's barking. Jack. He's gone now. It was Seth. Um, Jack's barking. And I see, I see like some light, and it looks like there's a person there. I can kind of see that, that, that it looks like a person sort of frozen up there probably 30, 40 feet from me. But it's really dark. And I'm like, what is that? And Jack's barking, barking, barking. So I come back inside, and I realize there's some dude back there in our backyard, and I don't know what the deal is, and Jack's barking at him, and Tiffany wasn't there, I would have made her go deal with it. <laughs> like, honey, go check the backyard. So I get my baseball bat, my Louisville Slugger, all right? Got this baseball bat, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go. <clears throat> no, I'm not, right? I didn't want to go out there, because I don't know what's up, right? It's scary. I don't know what I might lose. So I go out there with my baseball bat, you know, Barney Fife, you know, got my one bullet here, and then I got my baseball, and I got to go out here, and there's these bushes, okay, you got to imagine there's about this much space, and it's all bushes this way, and it's dark, I mean, it's dark, and this is where I think the guy's gone, but I got to check, because I've got kids, you know, I got a wife, who should have been there to do this for me, and and I got to walk back through these bushes where I can't see anything with my little baseball bat. Hey, is anybody there? Mickey Mouse sounding thing. I walk, <laughs> I walk down through this thing. It's all, I mean, I'm just heart beating, right? Finally, I get there, and there's actually, there's a laptop on the ground. I pick up this laptop. I come back, and I call the police. Why didn't I call the police first? I don't know. Waited until I had wet my pants to realize I should just call the police. They could have taken care of it. That's what they're paid for. Pay them. That's what I pay them for. So anyway, what happened was it was actually a laptop. They had robbed a business next door or burglarized a business next door. And uh, they, Jack, because Jack had scared them away, they bought the people. It was actually like a feed place, like an animal feed place, kind of like Wilco. 
And they gave Jack a big thing of dog food. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was great. I would have rather had money, but hey, whatever. Um, we found their laptop. Here's my thing. I'm just telling you that because there are those moments in life where you're scared, where you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know what you might lose. And I'll tell you right now, following Christ and surrendering to him, the whole point of why it's scary is because you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know what you might lose, but I can tell you what you'll gain. Everything. Eternal rewards. Yeah, snake might bite you. You might go through difficulties. Somebody might throw rocks at you. I don't know. It all happened to Paul. And here we are still talking about him 2,000 years later as he's with the Lord, as he wrote half the stinking Bible. Okay? What is more important to you? You've got to decide. No, no. I'm happy with just being happy. Now, if you're happy with just being happy, you'll get neither happiness, right? You won't get happiness, nor will you get anything eternal. But if you aim at the eternal, you might get both. You chase after happiness, you rarely find it. Ask every drug addict in the world. Ask every, ask every person in the world. Who's ever been able to manufacture happiness? But if you do, the millennials have this right. Do something worthwhile. Now, the one thing they don't understand is they don't understand the power of Jesus Christ, but you do. You've seen the book of Acts. You understand who we are and where we are now. And we can do this. We can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit and surrendering everything to Jesus, but we have to do that. We have to surrender everything to Jesus. What is our legacy? What is your legacy in Christ going to be? We know the legacy of Christ's church. This is the kingdom of God. I've told you that. And I'll tell you again, and I'll probably tell you many times so you don't forget it. We're the bride of Christ. We are the ones who are here pushing back the power of darkness. We're the ones doing that. What can we do in the power of Jesus Christ? Listen, you are not normal. Some of you knew that already. You are not normal. You are a human being made in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ who if you found Jesus Christ and you've surrendered your life to him, you have been transformed justified, sanctified, redeemed, and you're being progressively transformed into the image of Christ, to having the mind of Christ. Do you understand what that's like, what that means, what that is? You can have a heart after God's own heart. You can live that way. God's own heart, he's willing to do that and be that with you and for you. Jesus has declared war on Satan and his demons and the lies and the darkness. And what has he done? It. Who has he done it through? Through us. This is what C.S. Lewis says. Okay, there's a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's basically kind of a senior demon writing to a junior demon. This junior demon is trying to tempt whoever, and the senior demon is kind of giving him advice and so on. He says this, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her, spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. They're running from you. The darkness is, we're, we're marching against the gates of hell. The darkness is pushing out of the way. That's what this book is showing, step by step, day by day. And it's showing it's not done. The end of this book, it's not done. It's not done now. We got to continue. We got to push. There are people in this city who are under the power of darkness. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they're under the power of darkness. They're chained to their sin. And Jesus has, has said, I will use you to make disciples. I will use you to bring the truth of the gospel. And through that, 
Jesus will break the chains and we can push through in his power. You've got to understand what that is. You've got to understand how important that is. We are his warriors. And remember this, you are not fighting against people. Do not get mixed up about this. We get into all these like culture wars and all this bull. You're not fighting against people. We fight against the powers and the principalities of darkness that are affecting people, that are trying to chain people to sin. It's not the people that you're against. Don't ever get it mixed up. Oh, look at those bad people. No, 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 no. No, no, just like you, just like you were before Christ, they're chained to their sin. They're chained. We're not against them. We're against Satan. We're against darkness. We're against lies. We're not fighting under believers. We're not fighting unbelievers. We're serving Jesus Christ and letting him bring down those strongholds. We're letting him use us to bring down those strongholds for the sake of those who Jesus loves and is drawing to himself. And that's your job. Listen, no one else is stepping up to do this. Do you understand? It's not like there's a second team. Well, if the church doesn't do it, you know, the United Way will. No, it's you. You've got to decide whether you're going to do what you're responsible for. If we're like Paul, we might ripple out through generations like he has for 2,000 years in the things that we do and the things that Christ does through us until Jesus comes back. I want the things that Christ does through this church, his church right here, to powerfully affect the world so that we can look back and say, yes, we deserved the name Acts Church. We were willing to live like that. So pray, so work, so give, so serve, so have faith, so have hope, so have love for each other, for your families, for the people who Jesus loves that are under the power of darkness love them through Christ. Let's, let's be an Acts church. Really be an Acts church. Don't forget our mission, okay? I'm going to close it down with this couple verses. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. His kingdom. He has the authority. And what's he doing? Go therefore, giving it to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And this is the last one we'll close with. Acts 1.8, first chapter of Acts. The, the, the verse that sort of just encompasses the whole idea of what's happening in the book of Acts. And the last verse that we'll read of it during this series. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit will empower us to be what we see here in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit will do that. Let's be Christ's church until he comes. And Lord, come quickly. Let's pray. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. 
You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.